Our first reading today comes from Acts chapter 10. Then Peter began to speak to them. I truly understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. You know the message he sent to the people of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. That message spread throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John announced, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. We are witnesses to all that he did both in Judea and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and allowed him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who were chosen by God as witnesses and who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one ordained by God as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Our second reading comes from the Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 3. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now. For it is proper for us in this way to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus had been baptized, just as he came up from the water, suddenly the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my Son, the Beloved, with whom I am well pleased. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. At Austin Seminary, in the chapel where services are held every weekday, the font, an elegant shallow glass bowl about three feet in diameter, sits atop a metal stand that's placed in the entranceway. You have to walk around it to enter the chapel. It stands there insistently, blocking the way as if to make a point. It sits at the threshold, a liminal space, an in-between or transitional area, a place to pause and think about the worship space that one is entering. 
the threshold that contains the font sits, sits directly between daily life in the world and the chapel where people pause to be renewed for their continuing work in the world. At such a place, it is good and right to pause to remember that we are children of God, that we have made promises to God and to God's people, and that God has made promises to us. Many pause as they enter and leave that chapel to dip their fingers into the water at the font and touch their forehead with the water. It's both a very private but also a shared moment. It feels very sacred. It feels very beautiful and blessed. So what is this thing called baptism? So I don't often use the Book of Order, the Constitution of the Presbyterian Church as inspiration for my sermons. But since I have been dipping into it lately, I wanted to see just what it had to say about baptism in the Reformed Church. And here's what it says in section W-2.3003. In baptism, the Holy Spirit binds the church in covenant to its creator and Lord. The water of baptism symbolizes the waters of creation, of the flood, and of the exodus from Egypt. Thus, the water of baptism links us to the goodness of God's creation and to the grace of God's covenants with Noah and Israel. Prophets of Israel, amidst the failure of their own generation to honor God's covenant, called for justice to roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. They envisioned a fresh expression of God's grace and of creation's goodness, a new covenant accompanied by the sprinkling of cleansing water. In his ministry, Jesus offered the gift of living water. So baptism is the sign and seal of God's grace and covenant in Christ. Somebody said to me recently that um, they thought that the Book of Order was simply about governance and didn't have much to do with theology. But I think if you look very carefully at the Book of Order, as in this passage I just read, our governance is directly founded upon the theology of the Reformed Church. And I find this language, even though it is from the Book of Order and the, the way we do things in the Presbyterian Church, I find, find this very beautiful and very moving. Matthew tells us that Jesus came to be baptized by John. William Herzog, in his book about the historical Jesus, says that his baptism by John is one of the historical facts that we can verify about Jesus of Nazareth. It actually happened. At that time, John was preaching baptism as a sign of repentance, in the Greek, metanoia, which literally means after thinking, or leaving behind old ways of thinking 
and living to find new and better ones. John's world and John's words are harsh. A life lived in the desert, wearing camel hair and foraging for wild foods. In the Gospels of both Matthew and Luke, John the Baptist's language is harsh too. He speaks of sorting the wheat from the chaff and burning the chaff in unquenchable fire. The life he seems to propose is bleak, almost ascetic, and you have to wonder if people came to be baptized out of fear. Then Jesus appears to be baptized by John, even though John has said he is unworthy to even touch his sandals. Like many, perhaps like you, I've often wondered why Jesus needed to be baptized. He says in Matthew's Gospel here that it must be done to fulfill all righteousness, to do everything that is good and proper. The whole feeling of the scene changes from one of starkness and fear as Jesus rises from the river, drops of water still falling from his limbs. The language that Matthew uses now is of love and holiness, the spirit like a dove, the words of God, my son, my beloved, in whom I am well pleased. This surely is a baptism of joy, not fear, of the assurance of love, of belonging to God. Jesus was baptized to show us the way to symbolically enter into covenant with God and community, to claim our place in community as a child of God. Of course, to be very clear here, we are beloved children of God, even before our birth. Baptism is not a magical ritual that gives us membership in the club. Rather, it is a sign of the covenant with God and reminds us of our, of our belonging to God and to God's church. Emerson Powery calls Jesus' baptism an act of solidarity with the rest of the community in the spirit of John's transforming mission. Christ is with us and like us. Christ is for us in this struggle in life. To show the struggles he too had to undergo, Mark tells us that the Holy Spirit flung or drove Jesus directly after his baptism into the desert to battle with temptation. Matthew's verb that he uses to send Jesus into the desert is led. It's a little gentler. Jesus was tempted to fulfill his holy mission in much more spectacular ways than his arduous journey to the cross. But these were the wrong ways. Had he given way to the temptation to show his divinity through domination rather than solidarity, he would not have been the saving Christ that humanity needed and still so desperately needs.
His way of baptism is clearly a way of solidarity in humility. You may not remember your own baptism if you were baptized as a child. I don't remember mine. If you were baptized as an adult, it may well have been a momentous experience for you. Although the Gospels don't make it clear whether Jesus' baptism was a public moment with crowds witnessing the event or a private moment with his cousin, the church now baptizes during the Lord's Day service so that the people witness the act of covenant with God and God's people, so that God's people are present to accept, to receive, to welcome the newly baptized one into fellowship. Even if you don't remember your own baptism, there are those in your life who do, or perhaps if you're at my stage of life or a little older, who did remember in former years. Some years ago, in the neonatal intensive care units, the NICU, at Tampa General Hospital, I blessed a little baby boy who was dying. His mother had known in the 26th week of her pregnancy that this baby was, in stark medical terminology, incompatible with life. But she carried him to full term, hoping for a miracle. She'd already lost one baby early in pregnancy. Little Brian lived for a few hours. When I arrived at the NICU, even the neonatologist, an older man who'd surely seen many similar tragedies, had tears in his eyes as he checked the baby's vital signs and confirmed that he was actively dying. At that point, the medical staff unhooked all the tubes and placed Brian in his mother's arms. There is very little a chaplain can or should say or do at these times. In many circumstances, chaplains simply provide a ministry of presence. But at the death of an infant, it can be a comfort to baptize or to bless, to assert that this child is a child of God to assure that he belongs in the community of faith, to reassure the family experiencing the profoundest of grief that their child is not alone. I offered a blessing for Brian as he took his last breaths in this world. I listened to his mother speak her own heart-rending blessing as she described the life he should have had, riding a bicycle, throwing a ball with his dad, driving his mother crazy. It was one of the most moving and poignant times I experienced in the hospital. It was an assurance of life at the point of death. Brian's was a life, however brief, in the community of family and hospital staff. It was an affirmation that this tiny one who lived only hours 
was fully known and remembered. I've been reading books by Marilyn Robinson recently. She has much to say about baptism, and I highly recommend her novels, Gilead and Lila. The old preacher in Gilead describes a scene where he sees two young lovers playfully shaking the water from the rain-soaked branches of the trees onto each other. He says, It is easy to believe in such moment that water was made primarily for blessing and only secondarily for growing vegetables and doing the wash. How simply and elegantly Robinson links the beauty and joy of blessing and baptism to the source of life and of food, sustenance and, and cleansing. These are creation words and creation moments that we are connected to on the most basic level of our lives, as well as being connected to each other through baptism. We are closely connected to God's radiant earth, But we should not think that baptism in any way sets us apart. Baptism binds us to God and to each other. It reminds us that we have work to do in the world. God's work of healing brokenness of spirit or relationship, uplifting the downtrodden, speaking up where injustice prevails, tending to the earth. The waters cleanse and renew to better equip us for God's purpose in the world. It is right and fitting to remember daily, as students do in the seminary chapel, the meaning of our baptism, that we are bound by the Holy Spirit as individuals and as the church in covenant with God. We are bound to be God's hands and feet in the world. In Austin, Lon and I worshipped at Hyde Park Presbyterian Church, a very small but diverse, close-knit congregation. At the beginning of each service, the pastor, as I just did, pours water into a large bowl and says, through the waters of our baptism, God calls us to worship. I invite you to pause a moment as the service ends today to dip your fingers into the water here and as you do so, to silently or quietly say to yourself that you are a child of God, that God has promised to love you for all time that God has promised to love all your beloved ones, even those you find difficult to love, that try as you may at times you can never deny or escape that great love that Christ showed for you. For like the rainbow after the flood, like the parting of the waters for the exodus from Egypt into freedom, like the descending heavenly dove, upon the river-soaked Savior of the world, 
God's gracious covenant breaks through all the structures into which we humans attempt to shelter. And we will be blessed by God's cascading waterfall of love. Amen. Now please stand as you are able, as we say together, the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only 